Hello. Hello. We're back. We are back. We're always back. And well, who you're are fine. you? <gasps> my name's Nisha. And my name's Liz. Oh, hello. And, and this is have... Luxury Unedited. Oh, yeah, okay. We're Luxury Unedited. But we have with us today... Paul. Paul from... Paul. Paul from Sotheby's. Sotheby's. And I'm Pritam Mookie. Nice to meet you. Guys. Nice to meet you guys. Welcome to the show. Um, I'm going to give a bit of a disclaimer here. It might get a little bit out of hand, and especially that none of you brought me big diamonds. I mean, I was hoping to see something, try it on, play around a bit. It's okay. Don't worry, we have this like the beginning of every show. Yeah, I want things, I especially want shiny. How are you, Les? You're going to kick good. us off. We'll kick us off. So today's episode is called "Cultivating Obsessions." And we're going to go across with these gentlemen, everything from jewellery to watches to the contemporary market. Um, so what we'll do, do a little introduction, perhaps. Um, Pritam, you are um, the founder of appraisal.ae, is yes, that correct? appraisals.ae. Appraisals, apologies. And it's Put your teeth gr- back in Third generation jeweller and gemologist. Correct, correct. Third generation here in the UAE, but actually going back, you know, in and around the Middle East since the 1930s or 40s, actually. Oh, and actually, I'm yeah. friends even with some before of your... you were born, Ness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm friends with some of your cousins. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. are. You You're are big, you big. I mean, it's what, like from back ex- then. <laughs> it's an extended. It's an extended um, yeah, family. Yeah, I, b- I believe you gave him uh, an award. I did oh. give awards. I give out awards. Yeah. Do you? Yeah, she does. I'm She's very famous. Important She's in real very life, important you know. <laughs> outside of this studio. Go and tell the story another time. But let's focus on you. Yes. Um, so, could you tell us a little bit about um, your industry in terms of why you went into appraisals? Um, you know, what is the importance of it? Um, to begin with, I got into appraisals by chance. A good friend of mine uh, has, a, has an insurance brokerage called Nexus. I, I'm pretty sure you know Samira Najumi yes. and the family, very old friends. Yeah. And um, they had a lot of clients, people moving into Dubai when the property market opened, moving their assets here and said, we need somebody to appraise their jewelry for their insurance. So submitted my credentials to the companies. Mm-hmm. It was all okayed in New York, Switzerland, wherever the insurance companies were based, and we started. And that was in around 2009. Um, I moved into doing it more full-time a couple years ago. I was working with the family business, mainly in retail. Right. We had a lot of branded jewelry, but we'd also buy a lot of our own stones and manufacture a lot of our own lines. But um, it's grown and grown and grown organically over time. Okay. And it's a lot of fun. And it's it's almost like detective work from what you were telling me. Absolutely. And that's what I loved about it. So when they get a piece, it's like there's a whole sort of process. Well, it needs provenance, right? Yeah. Without provenance, a lot well, of it, unless it's the really big stones. Provenance is a tricky thing. I mean, you do have, you start with a finished thing and have to yeah. work backwards. Yeah. Um, Paul and I talk a lot about this, actually, you know, trying to figure out where something came from, how it ended up, where it is. But can I ask you, I mean, I know a lot of my friends that own fantastic watches, that own really great pieces of jewellery, and a lot of them don't insure them because it's becoming so expensive to insure these big-ticket items. So unless it's like a really big stone, a lot of them will just think, okay, I'm going to keep it in a safety deposit box. I'm. You'd be astounded by how many people don't insure, especially their really expensive watches, which is 
a bit weird. Well, me. see, what with, with watches and jewellery, you've got to consider there's a mobile risk. Right. But there are ways to bring those premiums down depending on where you store your, um, where you store your valuables, uh, how much you want to take, take around with you, travel with, what's your bedside limit, etc., etc. There's yeah. a lot of fine print, but it doesn't always have to be that expensive. And I think at this point, if I can just interject, if we introduce Paul, because yeah. there's a lot of questions that we have for you guys that actually we can throw at both of you. So could you tell us a little bit about you, your position within Sotheby's? And then also if you could touch on your background, because you've gone from retail to auction house. Yeah, so um, so my name's Paul Redmayne. I'm Senior Vice President, Luxury Sales at Sotheby's. Oh, excuse me. Senior Vice President <laughs> in the <laughs> room. I know, I'm joking, yes. The jewels. The jewels. The jewels. We're still waiting. The jewels. haven't checked my bag yet. And so I've been five years in auction, and before this, I was 20 years in retail. So I started the same as Brita, I started by chance. Um, and speaking oh, to a this, lot this of This is colleagues. a bad message to <laughs> yeah, like yeah. any kids growing but up. Speaking, just start your yeah. Wing it, boys and, and girls, wing it. A lot of colleagues, when we say, How did you get into this? How did you get into this? So many people, it's by chance. It's by chance, it's by default. I and then they just fell into well, the groove. It's also and then a gap in the it. market, what you see, and then think, Okay, I can do this. I'm. I'm there's a, well, there's you a don't, place for me. You don't, growing up at school, say, I you want to be a fireman, I want to work in an auction house. Yeah. yeah. So I guess it is... And so my, my journey going from retail, so I started at Cartier um, <gasps> in oh, 1997, darling. but I was I was wrapper runner. Um, oh, we so love it was a two wrapper weeks, runner. It was two weeks of Christmas, and I was doing the gift wraps. Oh. So the team would sell, I'd do the gift wraps, and I'd jump in a taxi and, uh, and deliver. Very um, And then I got on well with the manager and the team, and I was studying at university in London, and he said, come back in January, university nice. Monday to Friday, and then Saturday, come and work in uh, Cartier. I so have I a very serious question for you when you were rapping and running. Why didn't you say, Misha, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> what were you studying? French. French, oh, okay. French. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. why they liked you. Um, yeah. And then I worked for Monge Cartier two, in Monge Paris. Um, and then when I finished my degree, came back to London, um, and did my Saturday job again, and then Cartier offered me a full-time role in um, in sales. As, oh, in sales, yeah, yeah. So I, I started uh, started like that. So I've always been client-facing. Yeah. Um, always been front of house. Um, yes. And then I lived for so I was seven years in Paris. Um, I'm from London. Started in London, lived in seven years yes. in Paris, and then I moved to Hong Kong. And I was ten years. How in Hong did Kong. you survive seven years in Paris? I can barely survive fashion oh, I week. Loved it. I lived in Montmartre. So I felt like mm. you, you feel yeah, like yeah. You're so you're on actually, Montmartre is different. You're up I think the hill. Yes, you're up the on the hill. Yeah, exactly. uh, I was young, single, unmarried. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Living we'll the that story on. there. Well, it could be instead of Emily in Paris, Paul in Paris. <laughs> I mean, what do? How do you? I mean, do you deal with? Do you have to ensure whatever comes through your doors? Yeah. Or do yeah, you have so to have we, someone? You have it, I guess, appraisal team. Yeah, so we, we, we go out and we do a valuation and then we'll bring the pieces back and obviously we're insured. We have a certain limit to yeah, where our insurance is and then you have the, the house insurance as well. So where, where you're insured for each office, each location. Yeah. Um, and you can imagine, you know, Sotheby's has a very um, malleable yeah. policy because we, we have everything. We've got yeah. art, we've got you know, crazy, crazy artwork. Crazy, crazy art. Did you crazy see Oliver Barker? Size. 
um, and crazy in you know physically the, yeah. the size um, just and moving those pieces around and also in terms of value and then here now this week we've got these um, these two stones so we've got the pink diamond he didn't bring pink. the pink diamond um, the <laughs> pink is, diamond uh, is insane I saw um, a friend of mine who's a journalist came to interview you guys about the diamond and he showed us some footage it's in, it's incredible. it's incredible like every, you every season there's a very special stone mm-hmm. this pink diamond there's hyperbole doesn't begin with it it's in any light it's the most popping bubblegum pink it's oh. absolute it's how many carats 10 carat 57 it's internally flawless as well which oh. is rare oh. that's yeah. very rare but it's the crystal it's it's just this popping popping pink is the is a pink diamond more valuable than a blue diamond, or I think the blue diamond is more valuable? At the they're moment, they're comparable. They? Pink, yeah. I would say pink's edge it, and I think mm-hmm. the market. I think there are more people. If you line up twenty people, I think more people would, would like prefer the pink. A pink than a blue. Yeah. I, I have a question for both of you. I mean, maybe it's uh, one of you would like to answer, or both of you. I'm not sure, but the origins of the gemstones. How does that affect the price of? Uh, Blood diamond, she's talking. No, I'm not just talking about it, <laughs> yeah, but, but emeralds, they do, yeah, for example. Yeah. Well, Colombian emeralds, there's a, there's, there's a lot of history behind yeah. them. You know, no, it's, it's not only that, but the actual um, deposits, where they form, you s- the, the crystals are just that little bit different. If you compare a Colombian to a Zambian stone, at the top end, they, they would be comparable, but... A, a Colombian stone is colored more by the chromium, for example, mm. which gives it a slightly different appearance to a Zambian stone, which is colored with chromium and vanadium to a certain extent. So you have a slightly different hue. And that's really ref- reflected in the price, though, as well, right? So and when you in get the a Colombian end, emerald, it's, it's a colored yeah, stone. Yeah. It's about the color. But it's such a soft... I mean, emeralds are my absolute favorites, but they're such fragile stones because if you bang them, I mean... It, it, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wear an important emerald every day. Yeah. You know, that is yeah. a risk. Yeah. But, but it, it's almost like a branding that the country of origin has become a brand. So yeah. Colombia is a brand. And yes. And people, oh, Colombia, Colombia. Yeah. Whereas when you do look at a fine Zambian and a fine yeah. Colombian, they're both... Probably not much exquisite. difference. They're exquisite. Yeah. But, mm-hmm. And Zambia is definitely coming up. And the same with the rubies. Oh, but also one, Brazil uh, is coming up, um, isn't it? Like there's now, there's now Brazilian emeralds that, that I noticed. That's, that's an old story. But yeah. Yeah, they're not... I mean... The, the material's just not as quite as fine as the Colombian yeah. and the Zambian material coming out. But don't you find it's what people it's what people are willing to spend these days? I find like fashion, you've got people that wanting to have a piece, you know, to be able to afford an emerald, but not necessarily they can't afford a, a Colombian emerald. So it's you know, it's okay, we'll we'll source something. It's still an emerald, but it's not of the same quality. And I think a lot of people just want the Instagram photo kind of, you know, to be able to wear these kind of pieces. But what I find quite interesting is is all the marketing that's behind all of this. So you, you mentioned just about the brands, you know, it's become a brand. So even with diamonds, diamonds were never really, like it, it was, there's a history of the diamond where it was something that was created. I don't know whether it was Tiffany or before I then, think it was De Beers, no? That they created this, like, 
uh, the, like the slogan. That was the beers, I thought. No? Yeah. And then we yeah. always hear about them being they becoming rarer and rarer. Is that true? Because we also no. then read about supply and demand, and it's really the big families that are controlling all of this. I don't know if I'm right, Paul, but I believe I've always heard that diamonds, there are a lot of them. And if they were released into the market, then your big 10 carats really not as worth as much as you think it is at the moment in, t- in terms of the white, plain white diamonds, because De Beers have had a really strong hold on the diamond market. Um, this is where Paul's trying to calculate yeah. what he can what say. Can he can say? Like, can't we say. don't want you to get into I'm, trouble. I'm, 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 trouble. Thinking of a, I'm thinking of an anecdote. So yes. a couple of years ago, um, a client of mine phoned me up and he said, right, Paul, he's a private client. He said, I want to buy a 10 carat um, D flawless. Mm. I said, okay, excellent. So we're looking at around about what a million, least, about a million yeah. dollars. Um, and so I put the, the, the feelers out um, and I got back to him. I spoke to one of uh, a dealer friend of mine and he said, oh, I was just talking about you with my dad um, a couple of days ago because we've got this very special stone. It's a historical stone. Um, As you and, do. Uh, As you do. It, you know, you might have someone for it. So he told me about this stone, and I was super excited. It was a Golconda, um, Golconda diamond. So mm-hmm. it's still a D internally flawless, yeah. but Golconda. And it's a bit wibbly-wobbly in shape, um, super historical from India from, from back in the day. And they have this, this whiteness. If you have a D color yes, diamond, this is the A. The B, the C. Yeah, 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 the, the, course, the, yeah. the, the reason D starts at D is because of Golconda's, for me, because these there's just another level of whiteness. So I called the client back and I said, right, we've got two options. Option one, I've got five D flawlesses. Um, so we can go with that. But option two is, for less money, I've got a slightly smaller stone, but it's a Golconda. And he just jumped on this. Yeah. Wow. Um, and he said, and I said, look, I can, if you want it, we can absolutely pull the trigger on the D flawless. Quite happy to do that. But this stone, super rare, you know how special, I'll send you a video. So I sent him the video um, and boom, that was that. And then what happens with that stone? So then the stone, so this was the question I think coming to later about technology, about my Mm -hmm. my life is on WhatsApp. Like I just, Mm -hmm. everything is on WhatsApp. So I'm, I was in Hong Kong at the time. So I'm in Hong Kong. Um, The stone is in the Middle East and the client is in Europe Um, and it's just, connecting the dots but as in do they just keep it is it something that just it's like a i think back to your your industry where it's part of like family inheritance and then you know how do you does that go up in value though something like that will it yeah yes and for for me like we can never read what's coming what's coming in the future for me i think golcondas are so undervalued absolutely they're so undervalued because they are the absolute like movie, best yeah. of best in yeah. class. They they are just they're another level of stuff. They're just well, beautiful. beautiful. That's, and you can't that's find where them. Tavernier made his biggest finds. It was it was from the Golconda mines in South India. Nice. The the, the famous blues, uh, other yeah. other colours too. I think even the Kohinoor is a Golconda. Yeah, it's Golconda. And the I'm Golconda. just hoping you don't mention the coronation. Yeah, don't mention the coronation. Not now, not now, not now, not now. Okay. No, I'm going to behave. Has the mood changed over the years? I mean, are people like selling less or are they holding on to their things or are they releasing because they need to? Or? It's interesting now, certainly in the Middle East, this is, this is now very much a sourcing market. Um, oh. and, and traditionally, so the, it was split between East and West. So 10 years in Hong Kong, you would typically source in the West and you would sell to the East. Um, you wouldn't, it would be harder to source in Asia um, to then sell in the West. But you would, 
the, the noble families, the older pieces, yeah. the more historical stones, the historical pieces, Cartier from the 1940s, 1950s, you would find that in the West. Yes. And the appetite is going up and up in the East for those yes. pieces. So it was quite clear cut. But now the, it's everything's becoming blurred. Yeah. Like we remember when we had Leah on uh, for, the, for the watch episode and her family are also into the the um, the antique and yeah. the older the jewelry. You know, jewelry and she had the, the Cartier and Graf pieces from them were spectacular. But it's always that old adage as well is that everything yeah. is only worth what someone is willing to yeah. pay for it yeah. in the room. Yeah. yeah. And we always say, look, buy what you like, because don't buy just for just, oh, that seems to be watch fashionista. Yes. Buy what you yeah. like, people. <laughs> buy what you yeah. like. That really yes. stood out to me yeah. with our podcast. Yeah. This is buy to wear, to like. enjoy. To enjoy. Yeah, the watches. I have yeah. no interest. The jewelry, yeah. the watches, your clothes, whatever it is. You, you have do, to love you, and wear them. Do you ever come across something in your line of work where you come across something so rare that you're... Or do you have any stories of people not really understanding... The value the of, value of what they have. Yeah, oftentimes. Oftentimes, because they may have inherited or been gifted something that they don't like, so they don't wear. And when you get to explaining what they've got in front of them, it could be a very nice surprise. You, time you time. told me a great story about someone that had you come over. She just had like a box. Of oh, yeah, the shoe box in her cupboard. So we'd gone through all her jewelry. <laughs> go, there's some gold in that box. I reach up. The box wouldn't move. So took a chair just to take it down carefully. I didn't know what I was going to break if I dropped it. I put it down. It took hours to untangle all these chains and count these coins and check the purity. She, every birthday, Eid, Diwali, Christmas, child, Everything. birth of a child, yeah. whatever, just gold coins. It's very typical in this part of the world to give gold. Don't know what to give? Give gold. And she just kept putting it in this box. It ended up being around three, three and a half kilos or something. This is in 2011. Yeah. Um, and when I told her, do you know what you have? She said, I have no idea. I haven't looked in the box for 10 years. And when I actually calculated how much she had, she almost started crying because like, this just paid for my my kid's university oh, right amazing. now. Wow. See, stories like that you love. Yeah. Yeah. I always remember I Antique Roadshow. Yeah, That's well, what I was yeah, thinking yeah. about Antique yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll never forget that guy that was about to be homeless. And he said, this is the last thing I have from my grandfather. It was some silver bits, remember? And it was worth yeah. 300,000 pounds. Yeah, there, there was an amazing... You, you, you antique could change Roadshow, people's there. lives, Britta. Well, they don't know what they have, yeah. you know. I mean, but it can also go the other way as well. Someone thinks I remember. They, oh, you know, my, my fiance yeah. bought, me. <laughs> bought me this wonderful uh, ring. Uh, not really. But yeah, that is pretty cool. I, I'm just so curious about this, you know, topic that you were talking about in terms of resellers, sellers, auction houses. I mean, I, if we could just touch on that, I think it's. What is the value? I don't understand the value then of going to an auction house. If you could just give me a like succinct. It, it's, the, well, it's the trust. It's, it's the trust. You're, you're absolutely getting what you think you're getting. Um, so, you know, the reason that the, the, four, the big four auction houses have all been going since 1700. Um, and, yeah. and that's for a reason. It's, it's that branding. It's that trust. And also it's the reach that we have as well. It's incredible. Yeah. We, can, we, can, we can find anything. Uh, but also made much more accessible by, I mean, if you only have to watch the art auction recently. You know, yeah. and I mean, Oliver Barker is, I'm yeah. a huge fan, right? Yeah. 
and um, you've got people bidding on the phone, people bidding through mm. social media, you've got people bidding through everywhere. So now your reach, you know, is is incredible. And but it's, it's that also drives the price up. And it, well, it's not just for the auction, though, because mm. the auction houses are going more and more into what I'm what I do for Sotheby's, which I lean into auction, but I do private sales. Yeah. So you've got the two auction seasons, which are the spring season and the fall season. But people who want to buy and sell outside of those periods, or if they want to um, sell something discreetly, or if they want to buy something quickly, quickly, there's an anniversary, there's a birthday coming up. In oh, July so you don't August. have to wait for an auction. No, you no, can no. actually call. Oh, I, so yeah, I, I, I actually didn't know so that. I, I go off and I source. So if someone's looking for a 10 carat D flawless, I'll go and source it, and it's just a one-on-one transaction. Can you give me Mali's number? <laughs> <laughs> no, so, so that's what I meant in terms of technology, which we'll touch on later, because... I just feel there's a big gap for auction houses in terms of technology and how you can work with um, private clients. But, but anyway, um, is, th- is there a difference, do you think, more recently in terms of what people are, you talked about, um, private clients, is there a difference in the ask? Like, is there a different, you know, are they stemming towards gold and jewellery during this time or is it watches or... You know, you also sort of dip your toe into the contemporary market as yeah. well. And what does the contemporary market look like? So it's it, it tends to mirror the, the fashion world. So you've got haute couture, um, you've got fast fashion, and people mix and match. Um, and so you get, and, and the world has definitely become more informal. Um, there are fewer functions, and depending on the geographic She's a living region, example of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> the mix and match of that. And it's depending the high on the geographic fun. region as well. There are fewer functions, for instance, in London now, and I yeah. think people would be less comfortable wearing an important yeah. watch, an important piece of jewellery in London, whereas here, Singapore, Hong Kong... You can still wear you, what you want. fine, and there are still yeah. the functions as well. Yeah. But also, when we're talking about, I mean, in different forms, it's not just diamonds anymore. I mean, look what people are paying for sneakers. Yeah, so I noticed, that's what I meant in terms of the contemporary market was, you know, you had those worn... uh, Yeah, the the match-worn. The the match-worn, yeah. Yeah. And it wasn't even a pair. It was six sneakers. Um, Some were a left, some were a right. Um, And they were (laughs) from 91, 92, 93. And then he retired. Then he came back. It was from the last match when he retired. And then um, we had the, the three subsequent ones and the the final one was his very last match worn shoe oh um and they're they're for sale privately well i have there's a a massive market but i think crypt again crypto money young people's money went into not so much the stones and the important jewelry they went into art a bit more and then they went into this watches for sure that's why watches like because I but into more of the NFT, well. yes, they weren't buying the Monets, the no. Gasset, the no. It was the yeah. contemporary because it it resonates. It's the it's the mood. But also, like you had the the Tiffany collaboration with with Nautilus, right? And I noticed one just came up unworn, unboxed, untouched, and that went for a fraction of price at auction as the other one went. Yeah, you what know? do you guys think? Like in terms of those collaborations, I mean, it was a it was a. I mean, the creative director actually got sacked after yeah. that. So, but I wonder because it's perhaps becomes then so rare, like in, I don't know, 50, 60, 70 years' time, will that become even more valuable as a collaboration? Or? Quite possibly, yeah. Because they've always, Tiffany have always done um, collabs yeah. and tie ins, and whether they do the colored dial or whether they just uh, sign the, the, the dial. 
But is, is there a difference, like, in terms of your, you, you guys in your industry, in terms of where you, does something become more valuable, if we go back to jewels again, in a set, or is it this individual stones, or does it not really, like, when someone say, I want to start investing, which is, like, a question we get quite a lot, would you advise them to go for a rarer, like, stone or would you say just buy you know a set or something that you love like the vintage piece that you've got some things to show can us we later. see what yeah or we can see so or the, these, yeah. these are fun these are really fun items they're not big ticket items and i mean it's would you I say just, these are good starting points as an investment no no i wouldn't say this is something you treat as an investment the one, the one so we have to Paul. describe this because for so, viewers that are just listening on the podcast. So here we have a vintage Italian handmade. It's, I guess you'd call the technique plicajour, right? It's an old French. Plicajour. Uh, oh, we're going technique. back to Paris and Paul. Paul, would you like to pronounce that in the proper Pl- Parisian way? Plicajour. Plicajour. It's a little, is it? Is it a butterfly? It's, it's a butterfly. Um, I haven't actually looked at it. It, one of them is you signed. Haven't looked at it. You just brought it. And I haven't looked at it too closely. Oh. One of the, one of them is signed. The blues and greens, and that's enamel, is it? Thank you. Let me have a look at that. Oh, that's quite that's beautiful. It's a very so, delicate, so the, intricate. So um, these design. kinds of pieces you can pick up at the gold value plus a little bit more. Mm. You're not paying. It's beautiful though. You're not paying massive premiums. So I guess it would be a pretty safe investment of sorts. But I would definitely start with stones. Start small. Yeah. Go for something rare, something high quality, yeah. interesting color, because these things really are rare. And going back to what you were saying about if we released all the diamonds that have been hoarded by De Beers and Al Rosa, would it crash the market? I don't know, because the largest mine in the world, the Argyle, just shut, shut. down. Yeah. Oh. That just shut down. But um, the Cullinan mine, I believe, is over 300 meters deep. I mean, how oh, much yeah, how deeper, much deeper can, yeah. can they possibly go? It's beautiful, though. So a lot of sources have been depleted. The the old Golconda mines in South yeah. India, they're done. Um, you know, Russian mines. If you if you look at a picture online and you see these giant trucks, they look like tiny little specks of dust in these you know huge mines. So this, it's possible that I think in the next 30, 40 years, supply is going to drop mm. drastically. Okay, so what's your take, both diamonds, of you, of those lab Ali. diamonds? Those lab diamonds. What do you think about lab diamonds? Lab diamonds have divided the industry yeah. into two. Yeah. So, wow. Are you going to fight it out? Oh, I, no, I, I love the topic. I <laughs> yes, think it's great. Yeah. And I th- you know, it's, it's great. A, it's, you, you go into uh, anyone's apartment um, and they will have, people know, the Monet, the Picassos, the mm. whatever, because there is a print and mm. people have got the print and in a student house there will True. be a print and whatever. Now, that arguably enhances the price of the original when it comes to market because mm. there is only one original and when it does come to market, everyone knows it because they've seen the print everywhere. Mm-hmm. But percentage-wise, very few people have actually seen the, the original. original. Now, when the original does come, then people know and, and the bidding goes crazy. Um, so arguably, it's it's more valuable. And I th- look, I'm... I think there is a space for lab grown. There is space Absolutely. for natural. Absolutely. But do you it's, think they'll ever hold their value? No. 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 But that's the point. And it's made very clear. So it's know. really the Zara of diamonds. No. it's They're chemically, physically, <laughs> optically identical. It is a diamond. It is diamond. But you just have to say this is a lab grown diamond. 
I need advanced machinery to separate the two. And I'm a gemologist with 20 plus years of experience, but that's not a so problem. So if we had a real diamond and, and a lab diamond, it w you wouldn't be able to tell the difference not with the naked eye. No, nope. you need machinery. So it does what it says on the tin, but it lowers the bar for young people, designers, want to have fun, want to create something. Mm. I mean, imagine how much it would cost to create a massive dragon cuff with gold and diamonds, but something you would, might want to wear. But it's just about people. Do we trust yeah. people to be honest? But now that's, that's the thing, thing right? As long as people are being straightforward yeah. and yeah. being transparent and saying, look, this is elaborate. And I was walking around the show. I had a client looking for a, a five-carat vivid yeah. pink pear shape. Um, super hard to find. Nothing yeah. on the market at the moment. Was at the Dubai Jewelry Show um, a couple of months back, and I walked around the corner. I was like, "Wow!" And this stone was just popping in the window, it, yeah. and it was a five-carat vivid pink. And I went up, and I'd never heard of the the brand. Never. And I like, "Who is this?" Obviously, some new player. And I went up, and I said, "Excuse me, this stone." And he came straight up, and he saw from Sotheby's, and he said, "Just to let you know." And there was no signage in the window. Yeah. He yeah. said, "Just to let you know." He said, "This is um, this is lab brand." Wow. So it's I gorgeous, gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous. But I think now. This will make you, I mean, I will not want to go and necessarily buy from unknown jewelers anymore because you just don't know, unless you know them really well, mm. how can you trust them? So this, I think, makes you then want to go back to the established jewelers because you back hope that Cartier, Bulgari yeah. and stuff there like is, that will not is, be... There is a way to kind of separate yeah. things. If you walk into a jewelry store, go to the gold suit, go to the Golden Diamond yeah. Park, your regular haunts, walk in and they'll have lab grown in one counter and natural in the other the lab grown stuff will look too perfect yeah true. they're all def color they're all vvs and the jewelry in this counter are, you know hi visible inclusions natural mm -hmm. lovely jewelry yeah, lovely jewelry. but it's very easy to tell them apart because one is know, perfect and one is not absolutely perfect but but you may get then unscrupulous people that you know someone wants to go and buy a diamond they don't know and they say oh yeah this is a diamond then you'll end up well, i guess that's with um, everything. everything yeah you know? So oh, I'd like excited. to ask you a question that's probably important to a lot of our viewers, especially if they're female. If they're buying their first diamond, what would you recommend in terms of stone, in terms of shape, in terms of size? Color. Obviously, you know, color. What should they, you know, what what's a good investment? If they want something to hold its value, not necessarily, you know, increased. I fell in love with a trillion, and everyone said to me, "You can't be buying trillions. They're not going to go anywhere Actually, fast." The I love trillions. Went up a lot. Can you tell? Time. Can you tell the audience what that is? A trillion is a triangular-shaped diamond, yeah. like yours. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe show the camera. But, Light but for those, not everyone watches, yes. so we always have yeah. to be mindful. Oh, it's a triangular-shaped triangular diamond, yeah. essentially. Yeah. I think the the little black dress, the staple, is around. Mm. Um, yeah. And you get a trade at wholesale prices. You get rounds, and they're called pairs, but it's every mm -hmm. other cut. So the yeah. rounds are one price, and then every okay. other cut, whether they're cushion, pear shape, heart shape, marquees, whatever they are, they're they're the other price point. And the round really is it's it's the staple. Um, and the round geographically, you can sell a round diamond anywhere. You get certain regions, like in 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 Asia, in in Hong Kong. There's not such a, a passion for pear shapes because they, mm -hmm. they believe they can look like tears. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, and it's all about how you put the pear shape mm -hmm. when you're displaying it in the window. You don't want to have it like a teardrop. You want to yeah, have, have it, it the, the other way, way down. Um, but also, I think as well, a lot of it depends how long and how... It's, it's like a harlequin. I've never liked marquees. A round is easy. A round is very easy. I find a lot of people like to buy pears because they look bigger. Mm. So everybody always wants they to do. buy you know, something that looks bigger. 
Okay, so that's so that's the shape. Could we talk about perhaps the kind of cuts that are around available or that are rare or exciting or that excite you guys? There's so many different cuts. Technology's gotten so much better. So you have your typical round emerald cut, asher cut, pear shape, oval. Cushion. Cushion, marquees. Um, but there's all different, you know, hundreds of different kinds of cuts. People cutting them to look like little horses. People but uh, the, the, the problem that I think uh, we mentioned earlier is that, for instance, you can get a cushion cut, but it'll look smaller. The table will be, the table size will be smaller well, the, than yeah. it actually is. Yeah, proportion is everything. The cut of the diamond is everything. It's, it's, it's a science. Light behaves in a certain way. So it's all about learning to read a certificate. You know, and look online. It will, you can find... What are the ideal proportions for a cushion cup? What are the ideal proportions for a round or a, an oval or a marquise, etc.? You know, it's a very straight science, you know. And when the diamond is cut correctly, the light response will be better. Yeah. The dimensions will look better. Even when you set it in a ring, it will look more proper. The shape will be, the ratio should be correct. And, I mean... So it's cut and then color. I'll leave that to you, Paul. Yeah, you know? I, I was going to say as well about the cushions. You want you want the stone to because diamonds are sh- if you're wearing them as earrings, if you're wearing them as a pendant, as a ring. Mm-hmm. So it's it's what we say, what we call face up. So you're always looking from the top. So you don't want a diamond that's going to be super deep, mm-hmm. because carrot one carrot is a is a physical weight. It's point mm-hmm. two grams. So, so then you can have the so you the can bottom, have a one carat shows. diamond. And so you it's can always have a good to be shallow. Diamond. You can have a three-carat diamond that spreads like a one-carat diamond because it's a very deep stone. Yes, it's a three-carat diamond because physically that's what it weighs, but it doesn't spread like a three-carat. So basically, Ideally, like in everything you else, you want to buy, say, a two-carat eighty. So you're still paying. You're not yet paying the three-carat. You've got a two-carat eighty that spreads like a three-carat twenty, but you don't want it to be too spready because then it becomes what I call the Carpaccio of diamond, where the light just goes boom and just disappears. Nothing's wow. coming back up at you. So there is so too deep, there is too... There's a fine yeah. line between compromising a little bit of sparkle for spready, spready. Because spready, then it looks spready. Like in everything else, else. like spready, in everything spready. else, guys, but size is key. You, you were telling us also <laughs> earlier on about, um, Misha was asking in terms of uh, colour and carrot, and you were saying you would actually prefer... Yeah, I would prefer, so you get the purists who want a D-flawless or DIF, um, and arguably, as soon as you touch a D flawless, as soon yeah. as you set a D flawless, it's automatically a DIF because yeah. the prong touching it probably does a little blemish on the stone, so it's no longer flawless externally. Um, so that was a purist would argue that. But for me, if I'm not buying, well, listen to me as if I'm buying them. But uh, <laughs> if, if one is not buying a D flawless, yeah. then I would do HS HVS two. Um, H because is not yellow. No. No, G- on a GIA cert. Yeah, on, on a, a GIA cert. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it, not to push one lab over another, but some labs are stricter with their grading. I mean, I would always go with GIA. I insist for instance, even when I bought that, I, each time had to be GIA. So yeah. And for, for auction, all auction houses, we only take GIA. So if someone comes with an I with an IGI or with another mm. uh, or a local then lab, you send them or, to then GIA. we will always send to GIA, and that's the that's, that's the, the benchmark. standard there. Yeah. yeah, and and another. Thing to touch on with color, you know, when you go out to buy and somebody says, "Oh, I got a great deal on this stone." There's no real such thing as a great deal. Is it too deep? Is it badly cut? Is it fluorescent? Fluorescence yes. is an issue. You know, walk into an nightclub and your stone starts to look a little bit blue under that yeah. light. 
Like it's not a good thing. And they say, oh, look at the color of this stone. It's fantastic. And they'll show you the stone face up. But a, a, a diamond will always be color graded face down, down because it's cut to give you so much light back. Mm -hmm. So be a little bit careful. Is it also a problem that are stones being heat treated as well? Which I is that or is that not on diamonds? I've, I've heard people yeah, we say, oh, this is heat treatment. treatment yeah. Well, treatments, treatments are a big thing in diamonds. You do get laser drilling, you know, they'll drill yeah. in to pull the inclusions out or they'll use HPHT to um, make the color a bit better or give it a fancy color. There are different treatments. A lot, I've seen a lot of that with the yellows, like they're treated. Yeah. Because some of them look yeah. very canary yellow. Mm. And yeah, colored. Yeah, it's, not so. it's more prevalent in the colored stones. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. And um, I wanted to ask you, just moving away from that, so we sort of touched on some of the vintage brands. Is there, an, say, for example, a not-so-well-known household name that you have your eye on in terms of the jewellery market or watch market. It's not quite a household name, but something really to keep an eye out. So for those early nice question, investors. Good question. Um, are you talking about old names? Like vintage it could be anything. Yeah. It just... You know, because there's a lot of new jewellers coming. Yeah. Like we mm. all know, you know, the, the old, very old Cartier, Van Cleef, Boucheron is... is you know, holds a little bit of value. Not not in everything, in certain pieces, mm -hmm. definitely not like the, I mean, Van Cleef and Cartier. But are there like, I think there's means like the newer jewellery names on the market. Yeah, or so for think example, like we had um, our watch episode when the independents are now having a surge and they're becoming more popular, they're becoming appreciated. So is there more, there's sort of, it could be an old house, it could be a younger house. I mean, we'll touch on some of your contemporary brands that you have, but just in terms of jewellery. In terms of jewellery, um, as a starting investment? Anything, I don't know. just to... I'd know. say, I mean, some of the old American guys and French ones are really interesting, like Taffin, um, which is, the, it was from the Givenchy mm -hmm. family, I think. Taffin, T-A-F-F-I-N. Most Writing wonderful jewelers. Yeah. One, Oscar Heyman. Oscar Heyman. Oscar Heyman used to make for other, the other big jewelers, and they're still going, still the, the family business. Um, and they used to make the pieces for, for your Cartier, for your Van Cleef. Mm -hmm. So when you see those incredible, iconic high jewelry, Elizabeth Taylor yeah. necklaces yeah. Mm -hmm. for Cartier, Oscar Heyman. I thought Nez asked a good question as well earlier about sets. I feel before, you know, when I first moved to the Middle East, everybody wanted the set. Yeah. was the earrings and the necklace and I the ring. I think that was to do with Marit, no? Yeah. They well, even in they, that's how they were collecting, dressed, yeah. you know? But I think that's, things have moved away from that, no? Or yeah, and people, still people mix and match now. Yeah. Um, and you'll see that people, the, the, the daughters now will take mum's bracelet to mum's got yes. the set and, or they'll break, they'll break down the, the necklace and they'll set uh, some earrings or they'll, the earrings that are very dramatic, very imposing and they'll just refine mm. them and take, uh, instead of five strands, they'll take two strands, make them shorter. Um, I'm hoping my father-in-law doesn't watch this because that's exactly what I did to my Tahitian pals. Sorry, Pops. Uh, <laughs> so, there we go. But I was just thinking, you know, like the, the brands you mentioned and Fabergé, they also have this new resurgence, don't they? Because do. of the Alpha Dan family that commissioned them again, once again. Uh, an egg a few years back. Fabergé was acquired by Gemfields. Gemfields yeah. are the are the biggest coloured gemstone miners. Mm. I think they're London listed. Yeah, but um, they they actually acquired Fabergé and uh, put a lot of effort into revitalising and reviving the brand. 
They've done some really lovely stuff. Yeah, they came really over. It's very intricate, though. It's the mechanics. It's uh, actually yeah. the mechanics of those eggs. But again, it's like you say, it's that kind of... That's not... That's what sells everything else. Yeah. Because yeah. they have a quite a big fitful, footfall, sorry, in the region in terms of their one store. But, I, but again, they have a lot of private I, I always look sales. at it for a brand like that, and I think, okay, what are the 25-year-olds now? It, it, do you have a whole load of 25 year olds scratching their heads thinking oh i can't wait till i can buy a fabergé egg <laughs> absolutely um, <laughs> well, no but i can't wait till i get a appreciation for it yeah. and you can have yeah. and it's it's the crumbs off the table because of that um and so as a brand i don't think you want to have one staple one thing that that you're known for you need to have several yeah which is what they're working on Lots actually they're appealing they've got some great neons coming up so in terms of jewelry and how they're playing with their enamel and yeah. so well, see, be interesting brand well. to watch there was Tiffany. a really interesting article in the ft uh, a couple of weeks ago about tiffany and the the, the renovation and the refurb of the new york store etc yeah and at the very end they quoted i don't know who it was but they quoted a, a luxury consultant i thought gosh that is so pertinent and he said tiffany is now going up market and they're trying to buy big store they're trying to they are buying big stones they're doing more important they're communicating on the tiffany diamond larger stones more high jewelry etc etc and this consultant it was the final um paragraph of the the article and he said at the end of the day whatever tiffany does people will always prefer cartier Always, Ugh. and it's and it was, but it's true. It was such a but it's slap, true. but it's it true. But it's true. The reality true. is, it's do you want that box or oh, that box? Want, when yeah. I was at Harry Winston in Paris, yeah. and I had a, I struck up. There was a guy looking for an engagement ring for his fiance. Um, we struck up a friendship, and he would come in every couple of weeks, and he'd look. He's looking for a three to five carat cushion. Yada yada yada. We narrowed it down, got the stones in from New York, and we were good to go. And he came in, he was so gracious, and he came in, he said, Paul, thank you so much for your help. It's been such a fun journey. He said, but I've just come to tell you, I've got to buy at Cartier. He said, my fiancé doesn't know Harry Winston. He said, your stone is bigger, better, and cheaper. He said, but she wants the red box. And that's Harry Winston to Cartier. And it is, it's the power. Look, it's it's the power of Cartier, but she obviously didn't understand the stone because you got to understand. So, however, in everything else, I mean, I... I understand that because once I got a present from in a blue box and I said to Ali, baby, don't ever do that again. <laughs> I, it's, it's red box or nothing, not even Van Cleef. <laughs> no, it's true. And then I, I, I mean, it's, I think there's a we should get Ali, Ali on to the show. show. Like, could you imagine Ali and Omar on the show? <laughs> so, um, but I, that's, and what people fail to realize is that Cartier has a pull because it appeals to everyone. You have people that want, you know, I mean, their bread and butter is the basic love bracelet, right? Which appeals to everyone, the plain one, right? And then you have, of course, you go up, you've got the diamond one, then you've got the full pave, then you've got the huge stones. So it appeals to everyone. There's no generational gap whatsoever is there in in terms of a brand like that. But Nez, that's the way it should be. It shouldn't be that you can only go to Cartier to buy a huge, I mean, let's face it, you can only go to Graf if you're really going to spend a lot of money, Right. Um, but Cartier, I mean, that that's the appeal. It's its for everybody. And why shouldn't everybody have a piece of it? Actually, that, that only goes back about 10 or 15 years. Because um, a little more than 15 down. years ago, unless you had a gigantic budget, you just didn't go to Cartier. So forget it. Yeah. Because not only were they known for just very high jewellery, their prices were very strong. And the entry level was seven, $8,000 plus. I might be wrong, but all the big... The big guys, the Van Cleves, the Cartiers, the Tiffany's, the Dior's, the Boucherons, the Chaumets of this world have now 
you can walk in with a thousand dollar budget, mm. but you get that box. Well, even if it's a small you'll be queuing yeah. outside for a little while. And yeah. Then yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. We we had a conversation recently about the the, the push brands and the pull brands, mm -hmm. and that's the so some brands you know, I've worked for a lot of the brands and some brands you really you have to reach out reach out and say right this is a new collection oh. this is it and other brands people just come to you come to you come to you and that's the yeah. difference between a brand that's made it but then it's managing that it's like the restaurants you don't want to be the the best restaurant in town or the most popular restaurant in town because you're only going to go one way you want to just bubble consistently mm, just yeah. below so you're super strong super for longevity so you're super 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 strong and this is where chanel and hermes they've they they mastered it because yeah, they, they could have yeah. especially in asia they could have just opened up multiple stores in multiple cities and made an absolute fortune but even even more than they do make in a very short space of time so and it's so damaging for the brand and the, but the fakes market which there is quite a buoyant face do you come across the market yeah. within the brands they actually a lot of the time they those brands say it helps them it doesn't take away from them i think definitely in handbags right or you think also in jewelry even in jewelry really it's just visible everywhere yeah, yeah. and it becomes more visible yeah. so that brand stays front and center in mind you know yeah so uh, uh, there i mean there's always these like stories about how that they actually have a hand in the fakes market because really if they wanted to discontinue it they yeah. could um so i have a question i don't know i don't i don't know that they could control that though i mean to a certain extent maybe but not fully you think so it'd be more manageable yeah I just want to know if there was one piece, whether it be a piece of jewelry, whether it be a rock, big rock, whether it be a watch, what is the item that you would want either of you to get your hands on? Golconda. 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 Yeah. It's like, yeah, wait, James, James Bond. Bond. I know, exactly. Golconda. You? Me. It would have to be an emerald. Yeah. An emerald. Origin isn't a big deal. It's yeah. perfect, perfect emerald. I saw the most fabulous Afghani emerald oh, from wow. Panjshir. Wow. Which is really, you often find beautiful colors, but you never find good clarity because they use, they still use explosives to mine mm. up in the mountains. Oh, wow. This stone was stunning, as close to flawless as I've ever seen almost any emerald in my life. Yeah. I was, yeah. And you'd both say that. that's the rarest thing that either of you, that you, the gold condor, knew the emerald that you've come across. I wouldn't say it's the rarest. But it's just the most beautiful. Well, obviously, the pink yeah. might be the rarest it's, well, you've it's come the, across. It's the, uh, in terms of colour, yes. Yeah. Um, but someone sent me this morning um, uh, a pink, a massive pink, um, vivid pink, um, mm. nearly, nearly 50 carats. <gasps> Watch what? this um, space. Yeah. 50? And yeah. what will you do with that? Will uh, you fight another auction pinky, house pinky for it? Pinky. I think pinky would be nice. <laughs> um, but Wait yeah, pink, pink diamonds. I'd... I'd Pink diamonds. Yeah, uh, okay, them. and going one step further, if you mm. came across one branded item that you could get your hand on, which which brand would it be? Art Deco Cartier. Art Deco Cartier for me too. It's actually a contemporary designer. Okay, but he's, you know him very well. I'm absolutely in love with Viren Bhagat's work. Oh yeah. Oh, I've heard. I yeah. haven't seen much of it. What do you think of Jar? just the craziest best jeweler oh, yeah. possibly ever lived and because you you have to put jar in the context because so, yeah. he came 
there was no one else Way doing before. it. Yeah, yeah. And so now there are so many copies, rip-offs, and so many people have taken that path. And so you mm -hmm. think, oh, yeah. Correct. But when you see what the, where the market was mm -hmm. and what he was doing, yeah, mind, it's, it's mind-blown. It's mind-blown. Yeah. And he doesn't sell to everyone. No. He's very no. um, particular in terms of who sells to. Last but Just not last least for the region, though, Tabah. I have to. Their stones, the way they set them. I think they're fantastic. Lebanese hats jewelry. Off, hats off. Hats off. off. How many hats generations? Off. Five, six now? Uh, no, I think only three, actually. Only three? No, I, I think, think No, I think they go back to the 1930s. I think it was, now it's Najib. I think it was his father. It was his grandfather before, I think. Well, so 19, yeah, definitely 1930s. I think almost 100 yeah. years because my grandfather, yeah. who I never met, was actually in Beirut when they left from India. They were in Beirut. Wow. So my dad was born there and even he speaks yeah. about let me tell you, there and and their stones, how they set them. I'm lucky to have a couple of pieces from him, and also their everyday wear, um, like you know their evil eye and stuff. So it's and you wear it and you wear it and you wear it, and and it's. I mean, I've seen some of his big work. It's stunning. They Paul's will be making a note. some pieces, yeah. some pieces for the future <laughs> to see. Yeah, little trip. And just very very quickly, you've touched on. Um, we've touched on. Sorry, contemporary jewelry and you've actually started working with a lot of contemporary designers what makes you pick someone like uh, Nadine Rossen for me it's the it's the feeling the craftsmanship how it's made and Nadine's work is super fun people mm. love it. it's conversation yeah she did that croissant burger, didn't she you see, burger. The croissant. you see the burger ring um for me Sylvia Fermanovic does these mm. marquetry she's incredible Brazilian Mm -hmm. uh, designer and she sets stones um, in bamboo studio yeah. Ren, yes. Indian designers they design their own concrete and they set stones in concrete and this con they made a concrete ring but they made their own concrete first so they're so granular in their approach like proper their concrete, artistic, proper concrete. Yeah. and, you work and with so it's 18, 18 well. karat gold mm -hmm. and then concrete around it yeah. but it's super light and it's, it's like pumice and then they set stones in it um, Hannah mm. Martin Hannah Martin is just yeah. this talent yeah. amazing um, and so she was classically trained, Central St. Martins, and classically trained, picked by Cartier, learnt on the benches in Paris at Cartier, mm -hmm. um, and was designing for Cartier, for Chaumet, for the Place Vendôme. Um, yeah. uh, Reposti as well. And then she went off and then she started doing her own line. Um, yeah. And she's just mm -hmm. been appointed now, she's created by a director at Moad. As of mm. just a few months ago, really? still doing yeah. her own lines. Yeah, really? yeah fantastic. Yeah. Oh, and she's. Uh, she, but I think Mawad's trying to have a revival, no? Because they well really did. She's yeah. so yeah, and and she's such a talent. And when you when you feel her pieces, they're heavy. Heavy. Like they're really because a lot of pieces, especially modern day pieces from the big houses, concrete. I mean, um, hollow. They're, they're, they're light. They're hollow, right. and you you're paying all this money. You don't feel like you've got something. Hannah's pieces. Wow, you're. Must and have in a terms look. of Azza Fahbi, it's more because people really buy into her, the heritage, and, right? And that's it. And people will buy people will buy from a designer because of the designer. People will buy because of the, the colour palette that they use. Or people so if you had to take a punt out of those new designers, who would you buy into now? Hannah. Looking to the future, Hannah? Hannah. Yeah. yeah. All, the, all the way. Because she's such a talent. So, you know, as always, you out there, I asked you, some questions and you're always super super about that so i'm gonna let ness start with her top five so here's our we always like to make a fuss of oh top God, five. <laughs> are you ready this Hello, is gonna just be like myself out quick right. stop fire okay. so we've gone back to 
Now, this is actually, we did touch on it. So someone was asking, emeralds, Colombian or Panshir? Panshir. Which do I Which do I put, which which put your money on? Colombian. Colombian. Done. Yeah. Colombian. Always. Oh, actually, if you can, in emeralds, buy Colombian. Yeah. And Zambian. And Zambian. And Zambian. Yeah. I think this next person is just complaining. Oh, gosh. Um, my son has zillions of trainers telling me they're good investments. True or false? Should they be insured? Has he worn them? No. They're apparently just in a box, like in boxes. A, yeah, potentially. I had someone ping me a, a DM the other day and he had a pair of sneakers and he said I've received these um, mm. are they worth anything and I pinged it to um, Zaki my sneakers guy in London mm -hmm. at Sotheby's in London um, 8,000 euros wow so he was a single pair yep. not bad wow um, this is more broader question opinion on buying pieces like the love bracelet everyone seems to have it to show status even even if I like some pieces I tend not to go for them should I not care I, I think what she's trying buy to say is Buy what you love. It doesn't matter. If you're going to wear it, buy wear it. it. Nailed it. Buy what you yeah. love. Buy what you love. Last, last question is, is it hoarding or is it collecting? Collecting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you'd say that. But I have a really good question here. It says, I love jewellery. How can I acquire that passion to become a true collector? Because I feel it takes time. And you do have to do the research, no? if you want to start collecting but for me i walk into it especially like burlington arcade and i think oh that's nice it's, I love that's it's, seeing, yes. it's seeing the pieces and, and again preton you know through his history and over the years he's seen so many pieces so many stones and you suddenly it's almost like you wake up one day and you realize oh i know the difference between uh, this stone and uh, that stone but it doesn't always I have know, to be I, stones I, no, I'd, say, I'd say go back to what you said First, start with what you love. Yeah. If it's Art Deco, is it Belle Epoque? Is it, um, you know, Victorian? It depends which period it's from. What what really, what do you love to wear? What do you really enjoy? Which period in history? Start there. Start small. Read. There's so much information out there. So much information. All Christie's, Sotheby's, Phillips, Bonhams, they all put their results up online for each auction. So you can actually... Piece it all together slowly. But also but what I want to tell people, it doesn't always have to be a collection. I mean, you can buy some of everything, right? You can have a couple of nice watches, have some nice jewellery. You don't have to buy just one thing, you know, all of a sudden. I think people, though, are focused more on future. So if they're spending big amounts of money, they've got to know that it's not just for them, it's a big amount of money. So it's, it's not something they have to think about that. It's not something that they can just throw, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, I, I get that. And, and to bear in mind, okay, it's it's a lovely space, and I think there's nothing more aspirational than jewellery. Yeah, More yeah. than cars, more than houses, anything. You know, everyone is still, I mean, I'm still in awe when I see a lovely stone. Everything, yeah. you know, your mind is blown. We, it, it happens to everyone. These are not that liquid as an asset. Yeah. You know, as someone who, you know, my entire life is making jewellery for people, okay, the appraisals as well designing jewellery and you know but okay. as he's like, she's been like, wanting you know, to as, wear this as since as it arrived talking, this is I've beautiful i've just managed to slip this, this into beautiful. my pocket yes but look, look i love that. the diamonds on that it's just so delicate and lovely can you tell us a little bit quickly about this one so these are actually really old burmese rubies i've had them for a long time didn't know what to do so for those listening so just it's like a tassel weighted. uh weighted with um, pear and round cut diamond 
bezel set on the chain, just to give a little shimmer and shine when as you move. Yes, as you do. <laughs> with with rose cut diamonds here, set sort of in a cross. Yeah. I like rose cuts because they're flat, but they glow. They're not too yeah too shiny. I like think David Morris made yeah, made rose know, cut yeah. really famous. Did you? Mm. Okay. Took me to Hong Kong. Oh, nice. Mm. Didn't keep you there then. Exactly. Well, that was fine. So this leads me very nicely to my last question, which is, how can I trust a secondary source? This is what somebody just posted on Watch Fashionista. Thank you, guys. How do I trust a secondary source? This, this is the this for me is the niche of auction house. Any auction house, you know. Obviously, I work at Sotheby's, but any any of the the big four international houses. You can trust them. Have there ever been any disasters? Have they ever got it wrong? Yes. yes. Yeah. I mean, people, yeah, I'm sure there have yeah. been um, mistakes and stuff. But, but, but the fact that all four are still going from yeah. 1700, they're, they're on it. They're so on it. so, so that's, that's why, that's ladies and gentlemen, you pay the premium because you can trust them. And also, in many cases, you get some exceptionally good deals. Yeah. I mean, obviously not on the, the fancy watches or whatever, or the big 10 carats or the pink diamond. But if you want some pieces, you can still pick up some good deals. How would you trust a secondary source? Secondary source, you have to know who you're talking to. It's always good to ask yeah. other people in the industry, have you met this person? Do you know them? What, what is their experience? Um, and also... Build a ask, relationship. Build right? a relationship, mm-hmm. ask for certificates, ask for them to back up what they're saying on paper. Have it verified by a third party. You know, yeah. you know. Common sense, guys. Common sense. Do your homework. Buy what you love. Check things out. Go to Sotheby's. Could <laughs> <Yes. laughs> we get a final, final word from you guys? Final, final, final word. word on, on anything that we've discussed. Is there one thing that you feel that you want to share that you were unable to share? No, I think we've got condos. I'll find you one. You'll find it. Oh, it's just beautiful. We'll find you one. Pritam, can you find us one? I will find you one. Oh, yeah, you'll find us one. There Here's, to Here's to Golconda. Here's to Golconda. Any final words from you? Um, no, thanks. That was really fun. Yeah. yeah. Thank really, you really so much, gentlemen. Thank you so much for coming. Looking forward to this. Yes, and we're looking forward to seeing you on our next episode. It's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from me. Goodbye, Bye. guys. Thank you for coming. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.